If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. Hi, today I'm here with Fiona Lind. Fiona, you've been my friend and neighbor for many years. That's and right. we've known Aaron for years, and he still does our taxes, and he probably wants to fire us. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, you guys have been great friends. So we were in the same neighborhood in Kaysville for right. a long time, and then you guys built a new home and moved, but you're still in Kaysville. No, we're you? in Farmington, in Farmington. Actually, okay, yeah. just on the border. Yes. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being here. I wanted to talk to you because you have a really interesting story, and I thought it would be great to be able to share it and just talk to people about life. As, um, as I wanted to do this podcast, my first initial plan for the podcast was just to kind of get to know people in the neighborhood, kind of, and get to know people's stories. And yours is really interesting because you've been so healthy your whole life, and right. I've watched you be really active. And so to have this kind of a challenge, it seems at least it was surprising to me right? because you've been so healthy and so active. And so I guess I'll just turn the time over to you, I guess, just to introduce your story and then I'll ask you questions. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, so growing up, I was never athletic and I was an early bloomer. So I was a little on the fluffy side, I, I guess that. you could say. Yeah. And um, I be started becoming more active in high school. I joined the swim team. I... I knew, you know, I had learned that exercise was important, and um, I felt like that was the way I was going to become the person I wanted to be, match my insides to my outsides. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was young, like junior high age, you know how they make you run the mile, mm -hmm. I always struggled with that. And it seemed like, I, I mean... I said I wasn't athletic, but that doesn't mean I was not active. I, I danced a lot. Um, I, my sister and I walked everywhere, everywhere. We were, took long, long walks, rode bikes. So we weren't sedentary children, but we weren't athletes. Okay. Um, and when it came to like running the mile, that was always like such a huge challenge. And I, I, was end, I ended up being diagnosed with um, exercise-induced asthma when I was young, because I'd always just get a lot of these attacks. Oh, asthmatic um, sort of attacks? Yeah, well, that's what we thought it was. Oh, okay. Like, I would get pounding, lightheadedness, hard to breathe. So the easiest thing is to say, oh, yeah, that sounds like exercise-induced asthma. So here's an inhaler and be on your way. Um, and I also had a lot of gym teachers tell me, well, if you just worked out more... Then it would be fine, yes. You would be fine. Mm. So getting into high school, that's what I did. I joined the swim team. Um, I tried my hardest. I definitely was not a great swimmer, <laughs> but I wanted that piece of my puzzle. Mm -hmm. Like we all need somewhere to belong. And I felt like, oh, swim team will give me that like 
I'll be active, I'll be on a team. And um, I started kind of having these episodes in high school where I would get the pounding heart, lightheadedness, and I would pass out. And again, it was like, well, if you were in better shape, you wouldn't have this. Or just use your inhaler. Or stop being dramatic. Like you're just trying to get attention. And I believed that in my own head. It was like, yeah, I must be... Like just being hyper emotional. Like I just need to stop that. And wow. so just kind of tried to shove that back and try and forget that happened mm-hmm. in high school. Um, but I noticed like I would still get these pounding, this pounding in my chest every once in a while. So when I was 20, I went to the doctor for something unrelated. And I just happened to mention to the doctor, hey, I keep getting this feeling like I'm being kind of kicked in the chest and I lose my breath. Oh, okay. And the doctor's like, oh, we should follow up on that. And so he ordered what is called a Holter monitor. And it's a recording device, for lack of a better word, that you wear. I wore it for three days. And it just puts, it's like a portable EKG, basically. You put these electrodes on your body and it records your your heart rhythm. and then you record whatever, whatever symptoms you're having and the activities you're having. And so after those three days, I was referred to a cardiologist. And he said, yeah, you, we saw some things on your monitor. And it looks like you have something called supraventricular tachycardia. It's not dangerous. Definitely not going to kill you. But it will you know, make you feel crummy. So he referred me to a doctor called an electrophysiologist. It's a specialized cardiologist that deals with heart rhythm issues. And um, that doctor recommended that we do something called a radiofrequency cardiac ablation. And so we scraped together the money that we thought we were going to need for this surgery because, you know, I got to have this done. Like, yeah, I want absolutely. a healthy, active lifestyle. I want to have children. Yeah, I was 20 years old. Yeah. So um, we went down to LDS Hospital. We lived up in Logan at the time. So uh, this felt like such a big ordeal. Oh, it was. I'm and sure. the doctor, they go in through your femoral veins and then your subclavian vein. And they thread little elect- electrodes into your heart. And once they're in there, they map the electrical activity of your heart. And once they find where the electrical activity, the electrical activity isn't right, mm-hmm. where these extra beats are coming from, they burn or freeze it. And that's an ablation? That's an ablation, okay. yeah. Um, so the doctor tried to do that. He could not induce the arrhythmia I was having. So he couldn't, obviously couldn't burn anything because he couldn't get it to do what it needed to do. I see. And in the recovery room, um, they told me, oh, sorry, we, it didn't work. And um, we were poor college students. We were so disappointed. We had saved up money for this. And yeah, I started crying. Yeah, I did. And this doctor looked at me and he said, well, it's not like it's going to kill you. Oh, wow. Oof. That's horrible. Yeah. So taking that, they gave me some beta blockers, said, you'll be fine. Like, it's, it's not dangerous. So I went on my way. You're kidding. And Eventually, I went off the beta blockers because I wanted to have children mm-hmm. and just carried on. And I felt, felt palpitations all the time. Uh, I still, you know, that's when I started to become really active. I started running, doing races. Yeah, really... that's when I always knew you to be really, really active. Yeah. And really 
healthy and always moving and yes i love movement interesting i didn't know that this started in your 20s yes or even before that yeah yeah even before that so this went on just under i just swept it behind me all the time just like oh that's not to be concerned with like just make sure i'm drinking enough fluids whatever like Mm -hmm. it don't get worried when i when you feel the palpitations, don't get worried. It's fine. Gosh. Then about nine years ago, I had a significantly different episode where I was on the treadmill and I started to know my heart was racing. The rhythm was really high, even for jogging. I was just jogging. Like I was just kind of doing a long, slow run on my treadmill. And I noticed my heart rate was significantly higher than it should be. So I stopped the treadmill and I sat down and I just started feeling really lightheaded, sick to my stomach, shortness of breath. And I'm like, well, if I just sit for a while, it'll go away. It didn't go away. It lasted for two hours. And I was home alone and just extreme dizziness and did it just feel like your heart was beating really fast yeah and for what i can tell this is okay. before the era of smartwatches. <laughs> so you yeah, right. so for what okay. i could tell it was about 108 180 beats per minute for two hours at rest oh yeah boy. just sitting still it's way too high yeah. way too fast and um I tried all the maneuvers that I'd learned about to stop an SVT, supraventricular tachycardia, and they weren't working. And finally, after about two hours, I was scared I was going to die. I, I was home alone. I can imagine how and scary. And I picked up a pillow and I just screamed into the pillow, hoping that that was going to jolt my heart back into a normal rhythm. And it worked. Really? Yeah, it worked. Um, it's weird. So... I immediately called a cardiologist. I hadn't been to a cardiologist for a long time because it's not going to kill you. Don't worry about it. And this cardiologist did a couple quick tests. He did an EKG. He did what's called an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of your heart. He's like, I don't see anything wrong here. Just take some magnesium. Really? Yeah. He's like, just increase your magnesium intake and you'll be fine. Gosh. Yeah. So... That was nine years ago. Fast forward, you know, then I started getting really active. I started mm-hmm. running half marathons. I started teaching aerobics. Um, I was teaching aerobics five days a week, which also includes learning choreography. So you were so you're working out moving. for hours a day. Mm-hmm. And um, I started noticing when I hit about 41, I started noticing that my weight was creeping up. And I was getting a lot more fatigue and just feeling bloated all the time, just feeling crummy. My, uh, I couldn't run anymore. Really? Like just, it became really hard to run. Because of the air, you weren't able to get enough air I, in your lungs? I or? wasn't, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. Something didn't, feel, didn't right. feel right. Okay. And I chalked it up to my age. Declining hormones, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the things they yeah, always everyone tell you. you. You're just getting older, you know. Yeah. You're, you'll be fine. Just change your lifestyle but teaching classes teaching my aerobics classes once again like i would have these episodes where my heart rate would go screaming way high like during the warm-up my Gosh. heart rate would be 180. it's like this is too high yeah but you know i knew i had this heart arrhythmia don't worry about it and i said it wasn't anything Gosh. yeah 
Yeah. So fast forward to last October, I was jumping rope. And when I say jumping rope, I I mean like skipping rope, like playground skipping rope, not like double unders. (laughs) I was just Just licking my legs, just skipping rope. Um, And I started to feel really dizzy and noticed that my heart rate was too high for the level of activity. So I stopped and I sat down and waited for it to calm down and it just didn't. So um, I was outside on our porch exercising. I went inside and laid down in the bedroom. Aaron was actually on the treadmill. And um, I'm like, I'll just wait until he's done with this workout. And if this hasn't gone away, I'll let him know that Mm -hmm. I'm feeling kind of crummy. And I just laid on the floor and I noticed it just wasn't getting better. And so Aaron finished his run, and I said, hey, hon, my heart's doing that weird thing again. I'm sure I'll be okay. So I stood up to try and go get into the shower, and I could not stand up. Extreme lightheaded. Like, if I stood up, everything would go black. black. Um, I got into the shower, and... I had to actually sit on the floor. Because you were going to pass out? Yeah, and I just thought, this is how I'm going to die. Like, that's uh, how bad it felt. That's awful. Like, this is how I'm going to die. Like, my heart is going to just explode. So Aaron came in, and he gave me a blessing. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I kept telling him, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Let's just wait this out. And after about two hours, it wasn't getting better. Gosh. So he threw me in the car and <laughs> took me to the emergency room. And all the way there, I'm like, no, I feel better. I feel it's better. Be fine. Turn oh. around. Let's go back. Oh. Uh, we wheeled into the emergency room and he told the people at the desk, hey, she's having something wrong with her heart. And thank goodness they did not hesitate. Good. They took me right back. And the nurse put like one electrode on my chest and I swear it was just one. And she looks at the screen. She's like, we're moving rooms. And they like wow. took me into a bigger room with um, more technology. More equipment <laughs> and got you hooked up. Yeah. And uh, then the doctor came screaming in there and he's like, you're having what we call ventricular tachycardia. And I knew enough to know the difference between superventricular tachycardia and ventricular tachycardia. Ventricular ca- tachycardia is extremely dangerous. Okay. You can die. And my heart rate was actually 240 beats per You're minute. You're kidding. And this oh is after gosh. two hours of laying on the floor oh, and trying to calm down. Gosh. Yeah. And so he said, we're going to have to do something called a cardioversion. And I knew enough to know that that was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when they like shock, shock you. Shock you with you. Okay. Yeah. So they knocked me out. They did that. They shocked me, got my heart rhythm back normal, and just said, do not do anything until you see an electrophysiologist again. So two weeks later, you we ended up. That was so scary. It was so scary. It was so scary. And like they give you the paperwork that kind of explains your you know, when you're in an emergency mm-hmm. room, that it kind of explains what they did, what they diagnosed. And I look at the list and they're like causes of ventricular tachycardia. And I look at the list and a lot of the things on the list were drugs. And, and I'm like, I don't know do history drugs. of any of those. Yeah. Right. And, but there's still that little voice in your head that's like, well, what did I do? Oh. What did I do that caused that? 
was I exercising too much? Was was there something in my protein shake? You know, yeah. like what did I do that oh, caused gosh. this? Like it's it's a real mind game. I bet. So we ended up at a doctor's office two weeks later, and it happened to be the same electrophysiologist I'd gone to when I was twenty. Are you serious? Yeah. I Wow. Yeah. And so he, they did an, an echocardiogram again, and he came into the room. He said, your heart looks healthy. What? Seriously? Yeah. And he's mm. like, but you did have an arrhythmia. He didn't believe it was ventricular tachycardia. Oh, my gosh. He thought, no, I think it's something else. Let's go do an ablation, and we'll find out more when we do that. So... <gasps> He scheduled the surgery, and the night before the surgery, I was looking for my results for my COVID test, because you have to always have a COVID mm -hmm. test. And I happened to notice that they said, like, in the file, like, all these test results were in. So I pulled up the results of my echocardiogram, and I'm reading it, and it says, right ventricle moderately enlarged. And I'm like, well, he didn't tell me that. He told me my heart looked normal and healthy. That's... Huh? God, yes, that doesn't make any sense. So the next morning, we go into the hospital for surgery, and before they wheel me into the cath lab where they do the surgery, uh, we ask the doctor, we're like, we noticed that it said this. Mm -hmm. My right ventricle is moderately enlarged. And he just kind of looked at us like, huh. What? Well, he, he literally said this. We'll have to look at that. Wow. You guys... Yeah, oh, kind of. I'd be so frustrated. I was a little frustrated. Oh, so angry. Yeah. So they knocked me out. They go in and do the inflation. I wake up hours later <laughs> and he says, well, it was ventricular tachycardia and things did not look normal. And you need to be tested for this condition called ARVC, which is arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. And he's like, don't worry about it. Like, survival rates are high. Like, it doesn't affect women the same as, as it affects it men. And have this cardiac MRI done. So we do the cardiac MRI, and they said, definitively, this is ARVC. Go directly to a heart failure specialist. Really? Yes. Immediately? So, oh and yeah. Gosh, so we went scary. to the heart failure specialist to explain to us all about the disease. Mm -hmm. and it's very rare. Very, very Is it genetic? Rare. It is mm -hmm. genetic. Okay. And basically what it means is the proteins that hold your heart cells together and keep that electrical conduction going through the tissue start to break down. And... The more stress, the more exercise, a virus or anything can cause those proteins, the heart cells to pull apart oh, okay. because the proteins aren't there to hold to, them to together. Them. Okay. And what replaces them is fatty tissue or scar tissue. And fat and scar tissue don't conduct electricity. So it causes a disruption in the normal electrical activity of the heart and can send you into these deadly arrhythmias. In fact, most often, ARVC is diagnosed on an autopsy. Oh, really? Right. Oh. So this new doctor, this um, heart failure specialist, looked at me. He's like, you're healthy. You're not in heart failure. Just here's a beta blocker. You need to take this again. 
and and we'll be go you'll be live fine. Your life. Yeah, go live your life. Don't exercise. Basically, don't exercise ever again. You can do yoga. Okay. It's like you can golf. You can do yoga. But no running. No, no running. No aerobics. No aerobics. Okay. Nothing that elevates your heart rate at all. In fact, they say kind of the saying they have is if it alters your breathing pattern, it's too much. It's too much. Oh my gosh, that's kind of limiting. Gee. For someone who is a fitness yes, fanatic, exactly. who loved running, who right. identified myself as as a healthy, as a healthy person, person, right? Who dedicated your life to this lifestyle, right? I mean, my whole social life mm-hmm. was focused around teaching people fitness. Yeah. You know, I, I know I, that was my whole identity, and to have that stripped away that fast was really, really hard. And to have no, there was no outlook for hope on that. Like I was never going to be able to. So that was just, that was your, that's what he said for the rest of your life. That's how you have to be. Yeah. There's no hope of getting it back. There's no end point for that. That would be hard. Um, But every time we saw this doctor that night, we'd go home and go to sleep and wake up in a panic. Aaron and I both felt something's something's not right here. We, any question or concern we had, we felt like we weren't getting answers. We felt like uh, he wasn't investigating enough. He just said, honestly, and this is the most ridiculous thing, more ridiculous, well, it's not going to kill you. This doctor looked at me and said, you're not in heart failure. And we said, well, how do you know? And he said, I can see, see your ankle bones. What? So apparently, you know, traditionally, the, the swelling or, yeah, okay. in heart failure, you'll see swelling in in. That's what the he was ankles. basing his science yeah. off of. Yeah. Well, oh come gosh. to find out, I learned this later that with ARVC, you end up with something called right-sided heart failure, which has a completely di- different set of symptoms than the more traditional left-sided heart failure, and most people with ARVC don't experience swelling in their ankles. They swell in other places. They swell in their abdomen. They bloat, your which I had been having. So um, we asked him if he could refer us to somebody else. Good. And he did. And that doctor heard my symptoms and immediately sent me to the transplant team at University of Utah. Oh, my gosh. We didn't know it wow. was the transplant team. At the time. Yeah, yeah. We just went in and saw this doctor, and he prescribed a lot more medicines and kind of talked to us a little bit about transplants, said we do do transplants for people with ARVC. Um, outcomes are really good because you're typically a, a healthier person. Um, but also, we're not going to worry about that until we have to. He just kind of put it out there, in the future, this is something we might need consider. to consider. Okay. Uh, Within weeks, though, I was having enough arrhythmias that he had to look at us and say, yes. if this gets worse and we can't control these arrhythmias, we're going to have to consider a heart transplant. So he started kind of ordering these tests. Like, Let's figure some things out. And he ordered like an overnight pulse oximetry reading. And, you know, he was saying, well, let's just make sure you don't have sleep apnea. Then he's like, I want to do a VO2 max test on you. Just to check. Yeah, just, just in case. Just to see where you're at. Come to find out, these are all some of the tests that are in the pre-workup for a heart transplant. To qualify for. Right. Boylan. Within weeks of that VO2 max test, I went into like basically a week-long arrhythmia. Um, it just 
every day I was going into these episodes of ventricular tachycardia. And, oh, I didn't mention I had an ICD placed in my chest. What is that? It is an implantable cardio defibrillator, cardioverter defibrillator. And if I went back into ventricular tachycardia at a certain rate, it will shock the heart back into a normal rhythm. Oh, okay. But that wasn't working. And they monitor it like remotely, like every night when I go to bed my device will send a message to the doctor's office if anything happened if it picked up any activity it will send a message to the doctor's office and that wasn't happening like i messaged my my doctor's office and i'm like i had an episode of ventricular tachycardia today and they said well we didn't see anything just because the unit wasn't working well come to find out they had put the parameters to monitor everything really really high like it wasn't going to record any arrhythmia that was slower than 170 beats per per minute. And mine was at 150 beats per minute. Now I'm talking sedentary. I'm sitting watching TV and my heart is going 150 beats per minute. And I have this device. I'm like, well, just wait it out. If it becomes an emergency, we'll be fine because I have a device. So finally the doctor's office like, go to the emergency room if this keeps happening, which I did. After having an episode that was more than an hour long, was not stopping. So we headed to the emergency room. They defibrillated me. Um, and then they're like, you need to go and oh. be admitted to the hospital. So I got sent up to the U. And it was the middle of the night at this point. Oh, my gosh. And nice. I was admitted to the hospital. And I still was having intermittent episodes of ventricular tachycardia all night long. They put a crash cart outside my room, my door, and they're like, this is just for luck. This keeps the juju away. And I'm like, oh, I'm not dumb. I gosh, know what that's yes, for. Yes, exactly. Gosh. <laughs> and the next morning, my heart failure doctor came into the room. He's like, we talked about this. And this, this is, is when we start the workup for a transplant. That fast? Yeah. I mean, well, not fast. It had been this long process, but I mean, for the it, feel, it feels fast. It feels because fast all of a sudden because be, all of a sudden it's, yeah. they realize, oh, yeah. This yeah, is this is serious. It went from, don't worry, it's not going to kill you, Gosh. to you need a heart transplant. That is really this fast. Was like Awful. April. Just so barely. End of April. Right. And you so you guys. go October to April was just, it all came together, right? Right. <sighs> so. Oh, I cannot imagine. They admitted me to the ICU. I had to stay there. I was. I was in the hospital for a total of 12 days. I was in the ICU for seven of those 12 days, which was miserable. It oh, was because I'm not sick enough to be in the ICU, right? Yeah, like I, I'm conscious, I'm awake, right. I can get in and out of bed on my own, but I was having so many arrhythmias that they could not control. So they did a bunch of things. They finished their workup for the heart transplant, got all the information they needed for that, and then they did another type of ablation that actually goes on the outside of your heart. See, the other type of ablation that I had went on the inside of the heart. Um, but the new doctor we were going to was like, that's not what we do for ARVC. We go on the outside of the heart. Um, and it's it's usually really successful. The doctor we had, top in the state, awesome doctor. Um, and... Unfortunately, when he got in there to do the procedure, 
he could visually see the damage to my heart. Really? And basically, it's the entire right ventricle is just scar tissue. And and they can't repair that? No. They can't repair that? No, there's no repairing that. There's no magic medicine that will reverse that at this point. Hopefully down the road there will mm. be. At this point, there isn't. Um, so he was able to find a certain spot that was having a lot of arrhythmias. He ablated that, called that a success, but then said, you still need a heart transplant because this is not a fix. This is a Band-Aid. And uh, so they finally released me from the hospital, sent me home with the big book of what you need to know for a heart transplant, yeah, which is apparently. really overwhelming. Oh, I, can, I cannot imagine how overwhelming that is. Very overwhelming. Gee. We have had three of our four children genetically tested now. Have you? And as it is right now, we only have one who tested positive. And it happens to be Keely, really? our one with autism. Yes. She just won that the genetic thing. lottery <laughs> in our she family. Uh, but I mean, that's a, it's a blessing in that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll always take care of her. Mm-hmm. So there's no worries for and her. And you can keep, yeah, you can monitor her carefully. Kids, and, yeah. She's yeah. not going to have children. She's not going to become an Olympic runner. <laughs> there's, there's no saying goodbye to any and, dreams And you, can, and you can take care of, yes. Right. Yes. And when Gosh, Aiden, positive. yeah, when Aiden comes home from Ghana, we'll have him tested as well. But as as it is right now, we did have him have a workup for just like an EKG and an echocardiogram in Ghana, and they didn't find anything abnormal. So that so was that was okay. a big relief because That's we're good. like, what do we do? He needs right. to come home from Africa. Like, mm-hmm. we can't have him in Africa. And, He's got a year left, right? He about. does. Okay, He's, on his yeah. mission. Yep, he's at a year today. Okay. That's neat. We're really excited. The interesting thing about all of this, I guess, is the lessons you learn Mm -hmm. from it, which are evolving. Of course, you learn every day of your life. Yes, you do. Um, Back when Keely was diagnosed with autism, I kind of always thought that would be my thing. That would be that life-changing trial that you go through that you hook everything else to. I mean, and I guess in a way it still is. Um, Aaron and I watched this movie during that time period that just impacted us so so thoroughly it was called elizabeth town and i mean i haven't ever seen it i have to watch it you have to go watch it in the movie uh this man's father dies and at his funeral they have a big banner of his life motto which was if it wasn't this it would be something else Okay. And so going through That's... having our daughter diagnosed with autism, we're like, hey, but if it wasn't this, it would be something else. Mm-hmm. So let's embrace this. We can handle this. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. And then as things went down the road and we lost my brother and I know. Gosh, we were just like, well, we, it's going to be this and something, and else. something else. It's not either or if this or that. It is, it will be this and this. And this, the trials don't stop coming. They don't stop. They just don't. And so this hit, and um, I have to say, and like I said, I'm an open book, so I don't have a hard time sharing these kinds of details. But I kind of wrote about this on Instagram, how um, I was sitting in church one Sunday, like right before everything went really bonkers. I was sitting in church, and I really got the prompting 
ask what you need to strengthen and the Lord will tell you. And I really did. Just sitting there in church, I'm like, I'll take the bait. (laughs) What do I need to work on? And I heard the answer and it was patience and long suffering. And I thought, I can do that. Like, I'm good at being patient with some things. (laughs) I'm good at being persistent and persevering like endurance running has taught me that mm-hmm. you know just one more mile just one right, more step going. you just keep going and it was literally a two weeks later that i ended up in the icu and i was like okay oh, okay well thanks for that, that yeah was- and i don't believe and this is just my personal belief system i don't believe god gives us trials I believe God gave us mortality, mm-hmm. and mortality presents trials. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't what can, what is God teaching me through this? It was what can I do with this? Wow. What can I do to improve myself? What can I do to teach my children? And in fact, this is something I learned from Rachel. Rachel Perry. Mm-hmm. Love her. Love her. She said to me back when Keely was diagnosed, she said to me, what will this teach your children? Yeah, boy. How will this change them and make them better people? And that really carried me through the burden of learning your daughter has autism. And this is her life. And yeah, this is her life. This is your life mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Right, yeah. Um, and like just parlay that into this like what positive could come from this and one of the positives for me is coming to know the nature of heavenly father better i thought i had a good understanding of heavenly father until this hit and i'm like because i had always thought god teaches you through trials like he gives you he won't give you what you can't (laughs) right right, exactly but he doesn't give you that yeah mortality gives you that mm -hmm. And it's not what you can learn because you already know. God sent you to mortality with the knowledge. You have to remember. That, that's powerful, and that's true. You're, you're right. It's just that remembering and reminder right. of who we are and what matters. Right. I remember laying in bed one night right after I was diagnosed and just kind of thinking, why? Yeah. <laughs> what is this why? all about? And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a, a religious zealot by any means, <laughs> but this has been a real faith builder. I um, can imagine. I heard, laying there in bed at night, that night, I heard, you already know where to find comfort. You've already learned well, where the comfort is. And you don't have to walk alone. And I was like, yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, but it doesn't mean it's not scary and it's not absolutely a long journey. And it doesn't mean I'm not sad and it doesn't yeah. mean I don't cry yeah. or get angry or shake my fist at the sky. I still do all of that stuff. It's a, it is a whirlwind of emotions every day, all day long. Um. They released me from the hospital as a status six on the waiting list. Which means, which means it's low priority. It means I'm not sick enough to be urgent. 
but they also don't want me to get to be sicker. Sick, right? Because then it's it's more dangerous it's, to transplant. Right. So I will get a, a new heart when the best one for me is available, no matter when that is. Um, if it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. If it's a year from now, that's when it is. Um, but the uncertainty of that, oh, yeah, I no matter imagine. what, is always hard. Even though I have faith, and even though yeah. I believe in my team of doctors, and I believe that um, priesthood blessings work, I believe all these things, but it doesn't erase the pain and the uncertainty and the tears. It doesn't erase any of that. I, Fiona, I, I'm so grateful that you would be willing to uh, talk to me about this. I wanted to, to, I wanted to talk to you because... You know, as I thought about the people that I've known over my life, I mean, I think about you and I think of healthy, mm. completely healthy, you know, and I remember first hearing about this and I was shocked because of all the people that I know in my life who have dedicated their lives to health and, and wellness, it's been you. Right. And, and it just seems it, 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 the initial thing is it's not fair. You know, this is such an unfair thing. Why would someone like you who have made it a priority to have this lifestyle and to help other people to be healthy as well, have to go through this. But listening to you and, and your testimony, and it, it's humbling to hear that it's scary as it is, you're trying to look for the, for the lessons and for the things that you can learn through it. I mean, I, I can't imagine the uncertainty of not knowing, you know, could it be today that I might get a call? Could it be tomorrow? And then knowing what that means on the other side for someone else as well. Exactly. You know, and, and am I worthy that, of that? Do um, I deserve life well, more than someone else? Is a really hard thing to come to terms with. Well, would, and also so the humbling. heart transplant isn't uh, fix all. It's not. The doctors explain it as. Uh, is swapping one disease for another. Oh, really? I will no longer have ARVC, but I will have a heart transplant, which means I'm immune suppressed, oh. which means um, I have to be on lifelong medicines. Just to make sure that the yeah. organ... It's constantly battling rejection, infection, um, oh, heart failure is still on the table. They only last 8 to 12 years. Really? Right. It's not oh, a one and done. I didn't know that. Uh, the longest... The longest transplant survivor has survived with their heart for, I think, 38 years now. Really? Which is incredible. That is. However, however, that comes along with kidney failure. Usually, yeah, they can keep their transplant heart, but they also then need a transplant kidney because a lot of the medications they put you on are they have really damaging to the kidneys. They? Yeah. Um, so it's not like a, a fix-all. It's more swapping one disease for another. for another. But I have kind of the outlook that at least then the hope is mm -hmm. I could get back to my healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. In fact, they have transplant Olympics. Oh, do they? They do. Um, oh, that's neat. And the cute PA in my doctor's office said that's her goal for me that's is good. to see to me at to. the transplant Olympics in the future just doing my best. Well, so. and you, you're such a beautiful writer. So I have read your posts. And I remember reading the one where you said you were in Sacrament and you were brave enough to ask the question during the talk. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm nervous to ask those questions because I think, no, I don't want anything. You know, right. I don't want anything to happen. <laughs> right. But I think it's really neat that you're, that you're willing to do that. And you're a great writer. Oh, and I you. think about all the people that you can touch. 
with sharing your story and sharing this experience. How are your kids doing? Um, my kids, I think, are holding on. Are I, they? I, I think they hold on to a lot of emotions. I mean, emotions. you're, the, you're they, their mom, so right. of course you're going to be okay. Right. You know? um, I think they don't show me what they're feeling because yeah. they're older. You know, they're adults. Yeah. Um, and they want to protect me, I think. So they don't yeah. show me what they're going through. Every once in a while, a little peek through. And I have to remember to be gentle with them, even yet. Mm-hmm. Like, how would I have felt at 23? If, right. If I had almost lost my mom, that would yeah, be hard. It would be really hard. And our daughter is constantly out traveling. Her husband does sales. And so every summer they're out traveling somewhere. And she's like, of course this happens yeah, when, when I can't be there for you. Yeah. And, Honey, you don't need to be there for me. Right. <laughs> I don't ever want to lean in on my kids. But, but um, as kids, you want to be there for your mom. So I can right, understand that. Right. And I want her to be here for yes, me. Yes, of like, course. I love her. Course. So it's like, yes, I want all my children with me. Mm. But this is their time to right to live their lives. Live, and yeah. What does it mean to be on the transplant list then? I mean, how long does that process? It, you said it could be tomorrow. It could be years. Honestly, the I doctors mean, said their best estimate, which they can't give an estimate, right. um, but yeah. their best estimate would be six months to a year Okay, based on being a status six. Um, I have, they base it on your blood type um, and antigens that you have. I have a great blood type. I'm A positive. That means pretty common, lot, very common. Okay. Lots of donors I can take from. However, because I've had four babies and five pregnancies, mm-hmm. um, I have a, a lot of antigens. So, of the 100 hearts that would come available that are A positive, I could only take maybe a third of those. Oh, okay. Based on how many antigens I have. Gosh. So, that's kind of scary to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's one of the reasons they're like, if a heart comes, take it, mm-hmm. because you just don't know how long it is until we get a match. To, to another one. Yeah. Gosh, Erin, <laughs> tell us how this feels. I mean, I, uh, I can't even imagine. It's been terrible. Yeah. Ultimately, it's been terrible because, you know, when you have a, a spouse that you love and you know we've been married for 27 years and it's only gotten better through the years (laughs) um you want to it's your primary job is to protect the person that you love yeah and you don't think of it as a threat from within and so here i am you know supposed to protect her but i really can't do anything physically to protect her yeah and so um, it's been terrible. Honestly, it's just been terrible. There's really no way to explain it other than just shock. There's been yeah. grieving. There's been imagine. a lot of sleepless nights with just, you know, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. And, you know, this wasn't supposed to be our plan. No, um, for sure. We were supposed to, you know, we would exercise a lot together. And we were talking about the other day how, or even today, how, at a time, Fiona would mention, and I'd agree with her, you know, we, every half hour or hour of exercise would add this much more to your life. And um, because Fiona, the first thing that 
she was con- one of the first things she was concerned about is I was supposed to live until I'm 85 to 90 to take care of Keely. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what I was actually doing for her genetic, and there's nothing you can do about genes. Yeah. But what she was doing to live a healthy lifestyle was completely opposite of what ended up being good for her. And so all of that stuff could actually make you just scream at the sky and mm-hmm. be bitter and angry. And, you know, like she said, at times I have been and just it's it's a, you know, it's like, what does your faith really mean? Mm-hmm. And one of the conclusions that I've come to is that there are some things in life that are just not supposed to be fun. And you shouldn't just expect always this perfect ending to everything. and um that life is a struggle and we just have to accept it as a struggle and of course look for the special things that happen within that struggle but don't be thinking you know like a lot of people including myself i feel very blessed that a lot of things have gone right in my life and i feel like the bulk of them have gone right in my life and for some reason you just think that that's supposed to be the way everything's supposed to end. There's, oh, you know, she's got a little problem, but we're going to fix it, mm-hmm. and then we'll be just fine. Yeah. Some things in life you can't fix. You have to work around. Yeah. And you just hope for a better day. And um, I think for us, uh, we have to be very patient with ourselves, though, too. Um, we're not going to be okay with this. A lot no. of it we're not. Right. And, but we can, through time, and a lot of mental discipline <laughs> get to a point that we can manage it and still be happy. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. You guys, just listening to you, oh, this is, I love you both. We've <laughs> known you for a really long time. Well, we love you guys, and, too. And um, admire you both. And, and uh, part of me, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, I, well, I think about Lee, and I, I love him, too, of course. He's, he's adorable and wonderful. But there's so many things I take for granted, you know, about our relationship and our friendship. And, and I think, gosh, you know, if I had something like this happen, would I act differently? And would I, would I be more kind? And would I, would I be more grateful? And of course I would be. But I should be able to do that now yeah. in, right. in this moment instead of waiting for something to happen. Because we don't know, you know, tomorrow could be different. But... So on one hand, I, I just admire you so much that you're working through it together and that I know you're taking every moment as such a gift and such an opportunity to get to know each other better and to right. remember these moments. And I was talking to, um, you guys know Shelly Francis, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was talking Love to Gardner. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course you know Shelly. <laughs> that was a dumb question. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Gardner was just here and he was talking about his dad mm-hmm. and, you know, him dying. And Gardner said, I didn't know I was going to lose my dad when I was 14. Right. And I just, so it's just making me realize, gosh, life is so precious. And these relationships are so precious. Right. And in so many ways, I'm, I'm grateful that I have these reminders to be able to take advantage of the time that we have and make the most of it. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully things will be great. And you'll oh, get, they your, will be. And get your transplant. And no matter what, you know, I, I know... Every little piece of our lives, even if they're crappy and horrible, it, they are part of a grand plan. I, d- I do believe that right. with all my heart. But I also agree with you that I don't think that God gives us trials. I think it's mortality. Right. I think it's circumstances. And so when people say, well, you know, I was trying to live a good life and then this sucky thing happened. Well, it didn't happen because you weren't 
being yeah. good enough. Yeah. It happened because we're life and we're mortal. Right. And with mortality comes physical problems. Yes. And and I completely agree with that. Right. But I'm just grateful that we have our beliefs and, right. and God to be able to get us through those things. So as far as moving forward for you guys, you're you're waiting on the list. Right. I, I saw a post and you were in the hospital and then they sent you home and they said, just wait on the list. What's your life like right now? Is it are you able to do things that you want to do? I do most things that I want to do. Um, we're kind of having our simple bucket list summer. Are you? Uh, the, when I was in the hospital last, the idea was that I was going to wait in the hospital for a heart. And I went into the hospital fully accepting that, thinking, okay, this will make it go faster. And summertime's a great time. You know, everyone's schedule is a little more open. Don't have to worry about shuffling Keely to and from school. Um, but once I got in there, I was like, get no, me out of here. get me out. <laughs> like, I can't wait in here. It could be three months. That I can't be, do yeah, it. So, hard. Uh, so coming home from the hospital, I was like, I'm limited what I can do. We can't be two hours away from the hospital. Mm -hmm. So we're limited in our range. Okay. Um, we can't be anywhere that our cell phone doesn't have reception. So, and one of my favorite things, summer is my favorite time of year. And one of the reasons why is because I can get up into the mountains. Mm -hmm. I love hiking. It fills my bucket. I love being around a mountain lake. Like that just fills my bucket. Um, but a lot of places we can't access because no cell phone reception or it involves hiking. I cannot hike. Um, physically, I'm very weak. Um, I do my best. <laughs> yeah. So I get a lot from people saying, but you look really healthy. Well, I you, saw you, you out walking. You, you do look really healthy. <laughs> like, and that's what's so hard. Yeah. And I push myself. I push myself within my limits. As long as my doctor says, you're, this is healthy. I'm not going to go running, mm -hmm. but I'm going to walk. Um, I get very dizzy. My blood pressure is extremely low. My heart rate is extremely low, like 40. Really? You know, it's, yeah, because of all the so medications. So that makes you lightheaded, so then do you worry about falling? And Yes, yes. Yeah. I get dizzy a lot. Um, driving is complicated. Mm -hmm. I drive, but I... Not very far, probably. I try and limit it. Mm -hmm. If I can get a ride, I get a ride, because just, it's scary being yeah. dizzy while you're driving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but as long as the arrhythmia stays quiet... The doctors tell me I'm safe. So we're just going to take this summer and he takes a lot of time off of Good. work or he works from home a lot so that we can be together and we can say, hey, you have a break. There's no clients calling you right now. Yeah. Let's go drive. Let's go drive somewhere. Let's go look at a house. Let's go That's fun. look at a tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, spend time together. Right. So, I mean, it's actually been kind of a blessing that way. I think we're going to look back on the summer um, with mixed emotions, obviously, but I think we're going to look back with um, tenderness. I think mm -hmm. we're going to appreciate things differently. We're going to, we're going to like every parade of homes. Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> just to. So that's you good. Know. Yeah. Just, just to have something fun to do. Right. You know, it's like, we're going to think back on that and think, yeah, yeah that was kind of a crazy summer. I'm so glad we experienced that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one one thing um, along the lines of God doesn't teach through trials is um, everybody's heart is different. Mm -hmm. 
if it's the hardest thing you've been through, it's the hardest thing you've been through, Mm -hmm. regardless of how hard somebody else has it. And we have a tendency to compare our hard, to say, I have it hard, but not as hard as so-and-so, so why am I complaining? Well, because this is the hardest thing you've gone through. Mm-hmm. It doesn't erase anything. I mean, if you're going to compare hard, don't even think about people in impoverished countries and their level of hard, and they are still There's... children of God. Right. Um, look at those hard moments and think about how this will change you for the better, how this will set you up to help somebody else. And... I've always been an organ donor, like mm-hmm. being a, a young woman, getting my driver's license. It was like, heck, yes, I'm going to donate. Um, but now being on the other side of that, uh, I recognize the fear people have with organ donation. I recognize the there is a real fear <laughs> that you won't get the medical care you need because you're an organ donor. I just want to say that's a myth. I was going to say that's I've never considered that. I'm an organ donor. Mm-hmm. Never thought about that. Right. It, it's a myth. Okay. They, they're going to save your life if your life can be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just going to rip a heart out of someone just because they're young and healthy and yes. somebody else could use that heart. That's never a factor. Um, but seeing this side of organ donation, um, it's a beautiful gift you have to offer. It's true. And even though I can't donate my heart to somebody else, I want to donate my heart to science. I want people with ARVC, possibly even my children or my grandchildren or whoever else might get this gene. I want them to have the opportunity to have treatment that we don't have yet because mm-hmm. the, the science isn't there yet. But True. hopefully in the future it can be. So um, I would say don't be afraid of donation. Either organ donation to save lives or donation to science to help further to help. Uh, research treatments. and stuff. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that organ donation is fantastic. I've encouraged our kids to be donors. I'm a donor. I think if I don't need it, someone else could. Right. So, you know, definitely good. I was going to ask you, so as you were talking, we recently had a friend that, that passed, actually she passed just a couple of days ago. And you know, it's made me really think about my life and priorities. And as you're facing this situation that's very serious, has it, has it, have you reprioritized or have you made those kinds of, you know, conscious? Um, I think the biggest change on those lines is I am very much more appreciative of my husband. Yeah. Um, he, sacrifice anything for me and now it's obvious the things he's had to help me with the things he's going to have to help me with (laughs) um it's i know i'm lucky to be loved that way Mm -hmm. everyone deserves love that way and i know it's a privilege uh i i've always prioritized i feel like i've prioritized good things in my life just based on Having my daughter, losing mm-hmm. my brother, yeah. I, I lost my dad, I lost my, my best friend and sister-in-law. Um, 
having lost all of those people in my life, I've um, always prioritized relationships yeah, over things. You absolutely have. Uh, but now I'm like prioritizing gratitude for people. That's like, neat. Just being grateful for the love they give me. That's really neat. And you're right. Not everybody gets that. Right. And and they should. And that's really a sad thing. These are inspiring. I was going to ask you, you. So as people listen to this, I I know the first thought would be, well, what can we do? What can we, how can we help? How can people be supportive to you without bothering you? And and not bothering you, but you know what I mean, without being intrusive and. Be intrusive. I don't mind. Really? Okay. Like I'm an introvert, but I'm an open book. Okay. Um, I I love people. I love talking to people, but I, it's really hard for me to reach out. And I know a lot of people who are like that, like they want to talk but they have a hard time extending themselves. Um, reach out to people. If okay. you know they're struggling with something, um, even just as simple I'm thinking of you is so lifting. Yeah. It is so lifting. I think the, the, the heaviest burden is loneliness. Right. And that's probably hard because, I mean, you hear about something and you think, oh gosh, I haven't talked to this person in a little bit, and will they think it's weird if I just reach out? Do they, you know? And and it's kind of hard to know how to reach out, right? But just making a phone call, sending a text, I guess that right. is the best way, right? Just to let people know that they care about you, right? Okay, right. I mean, we should all do that. If you if someone pops into your mind, yeah, send them a message to say, hey, I thought of you today. I hope your day is fabulous. Yeah, it's true. And nobody ever regrets it, it's that. True. And it does feel good to get those messages. It does. When they're random. So, Tammy, I'm thinking of you today. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> well, and I was talking probably to Shelly and, and Robin, actually, and we were just saying, oh, we, we need to go visit you and stop by. And then we didn't. So we have good intentions. Right. But it's really taking it one step further and following through right. and making sure it happens. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to set like a bar for yourself either. Right, um, that's true. Just I, it, do it. Do what's in your heart. Yeah. We we had a neighbor, a cute neighbor, when I was in the hospital last, dropped off a little gift and it was a little yellow gift bag filled with yellow treats. Oh, cute. Yeah, it was like a sunshine in a bag. And that's I thought, cute. oh my gosh, I want to do that for people in the future. Yeah. And I'm like, is that in my wheelhouse right now? Well, maybe not, but down the road, something similar right. that that I feel capable of doing mm-hmm. would be fantastic. Just even just reaching out and saying, "Hey, I yeah, thought of you I'm today." You. Right. Transplants—they're expensive, right? I mean, can, can as your friends, can we set up something? Do a GoFundMe. I mean, I. Um, I think, fortunately, with our insurance that we have. Um, it covers it, Does which it? is okay, a really yeah. good thing. Okay. Um, but you know, there's going to be other expenses yeah, and things like that. I think right now, things. like we're okay, but okay. you know, you don't know how things are going to yeah. go. The medicines after are pretty expensive and That's they're pretty incredible heard. how many she's going to have to take. I think there's like, what, 10, 8, 10, yeah. 12 you have to take pills every, day. every, every, every what? Three times a day. Really? Mm-hmm. Just did. And um, so they're going to be expensive. But uh, right now, insurance. there's a reason that you, I've always felt like, hey, you got to have insurance mm-hmm. because you just don't know. You yeah. have cancer. You just can't predict it. And fortunately, our plan covers the, Good. Okay. the bulk of it. Okay. Okay. Well, because I know people are going to say, well, what can we do? And, you know, and then 
make ourselves crazy trying to figure something creative to do. But it's just <laughs> it's really just the yeah. simple things, right? It yeah, really is right. just the simple things. Just, yeah. just knock on my door. Just come say <laughs> come, hello. Come give me your smile. That's, well, and that's what people that's were. Well, people, Robin and Chell, we were wondering, can you have visitors? I mean, we don't want to obviously get you sick or bring sickness yeah. to you. I mean, you have to be really so, careful. Before transplant, I can have all the visitors I want. Okay. As, as long as everyone's healthy. Okay. Like, which we should do anyway. Right. Um, post-transplant will be tricky. Okay. The first three months, no visitors, okay. unfortunately. Um, my immune system would just be so fragile, starting right? over from mm-hmm. scratch. Um, six months post-transplant, it usually it's, it's fine to okay. go out and about to have visitors. Um, and then a year post-transplant, there are people who have stories of just being traveling to Europe. So really, feeling really healthy. Yeah, and good. feeling really healthy. So that's my that's my hope. That's good. Of course, you never know. Like everybody's journey is different. So right, but prognosis is good. I mean, honestly, if you're able to get a transplant, that should really be a great thing, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Say it with confidence. Yes. 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 <laughs> well, I didn't realize this started when you were so young. And that's what I cannot believe. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Right. If something doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. follow through. Follow through. If what a doctor says to you doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. find a different doctor. These are hard lessons for me to learn. Well, did and anyone in your family have problems like this prior to? I mean, no. it's no. genetic, so. Yeah. It is genetic. Yeah. We did find out that my biological father is okay. the carrier. Oh, he is? Okay. Um, but he has never had a symptom. In fact, he's, he goes in for regular cardiac visits, and they've never found anything on him. Um, my two living siblings are both negative. Okay. Uh, we'll never know about Benji. Yeah, unfortunately. And as far as I know, I don't know who of my nieces and ne- nephews have been tested. Um, obviously, because my two living siblings are negative, their kids didn't need to be tested. Oh, okay, so that's um, but Benji's girls. I don't know. And then all my cousins on the other side of the family. I don't know what's going on with that. Oh, okay. Hopefully, hopefully they're okay. they're getting tested, and hopefully they're finding their negative. So with Keely be being a positive, you just make sure she's monitored? Is that what you yeah. do? Just make sure you check on her heart? And... She, we limit her activity to walking. Oh, okay. Or, you know, doing, she loves yoga. Does so. She? Oh, so that's perfect. <laughs> we'll do that's yoga good. together. But we limit her to walking. Um, she's almost done with high school. So, you know, after that, we don't really have to worry Raise about her. Much, yeah, yeah, no, there's no gym teacher pushing it, her around. Exactly. So. You don't have to. Um, you can control that yeah, environment for her. Yeah. So we'll, That's good. she goes to the doctor next month. We do her whole cardiac workup. Good. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And then it'll just be yearly following up on that to make I sure see. there's no progression of disease, no evidence of disease. That's good. Yeah. Well, thank you both. I appreciate you talking to me. Well, thank you, you for me. 